Everyone is looking for purpose, for a life that matters, and we want to be a church that helps people find that. This is the Collective Church Podcast from a life-giving and vibrant new church right here in London, Ontario. Here's this past week's message from our pastor, Tyler Fromm. morning. Welcome to Collective Church. My name is Tyler. I'm one of the lead pastors. I have the privilege of leading alongside of my wife, Lee. We're glad that you are with us today. We're in this series called uh, Real Community, the Way of Jesus for Life Together, where we want to explore what does it look like for us to be a community that follows Jesus, the way of Jesus in all areas. And we've been talking about lots of amazing elements of community. Today, I want to speak to one of the challenges of real community. One of the things that comes up in real community. Now, I shared in week one that we have this tendency to idealize community. And sometimes we idealize the role that people have in our life. If I can just be around this certain person or this group of people, then all my problems will go away. But what we find is that we simply carry those problems with us. And while it is important, the quality of our community, it does not negate the fact that community is made up of imperfect people. And we expect perfection sometimes. We don't necessarily say it, but we feel it. Like, I I want people to be better than I expect. I'm not going to do that, but I expect it for others. And here's what I know to be true about community. Two guarantees. One, we will have relational conflict. Okay, we will have relational conflict. And two, we individually are responsible for how we choose to respond to that conflict. We will have relational conflict. That is unavoidable. But we as individuals, part of the community, choose how we respond to that conflict. Two guarantees in community. And I think for some of us already, our our walls are coming up because we're like, oh man, he's going to step on some toes this morning. He's going to be in my backyard. I'm not sure I want to go there. But for some of us, we go, so it's not just me. Like there's this lie that sometimes that we believe that we go, if I'm experiencing any level of conflict in my life, it's probably my fault. And maybe you have some fault. But the reality is that all community, when we actually do life together, really do life together, really get into it, we will experience conflict. That is a guarantee. And it is not something that we need to avoid. In fact, it is an opportunity for us. But what happens is, and I've seen it a lot, is people experience any bit of conflict and then they run. I'm out. See, they're just like everyone else. If we run from conflict in community every single time we experience it, we will run forever. Because like I said, there's no perfect people. There's no perfect community. There can be a community that is doing their best to follow the way of Jesus, and we are a community that wants to grow and improve and get better and become more and more like Jesus. But if you think you can somehow find a group of people that you can avoid all conflict with, I'm here to tell you it is not true. Which is why there's this passage in 1 Corinthians that I think is so significant. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10. And I want to read it. And then I want to pray. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10, it says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church, rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. Let's pray. God, In these moments, I pray that you would be the one that speaks, not me. That you would would connect to each one of us and speak directly to our heart. God, help us to, to see your way for life together. Holy Spirit, come. Speak to us. Guide us. Change us. I know that you can change us in a moment, and sometimes that's how you change us. And I know sometimes you change us with long obedience in the same direction. God, whatever you want to do. We need you, we surrender to you. God, have your way. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Two guarantees. 
Okay, I wanna, I wanna just reinforce two guarantees that we'll experience in community. There will be relational conflict, and we are individually responsible for how we choose to respond to that conflict. And I want you for a moment to think about how you tend to respond to conflict, the conflict that you'd rather avoid. How do you tend to respond? What's your wiring? I, 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 did, four, I did four different things that I think covers most people. So first, are you an avoider? Where you're like, conflict, you're like, I'm out, I'm gone. And it's not really about like, it's just I'm, I'm gonna be by myself away from the conflict. I just, I don't wanna be around it. I wanna avoid it at all costs. If I see conflict bubbling, I'm gone. Are you an avoider? Or in direct contrast, are you a fighter? You see conflict and you're like, here we go. Yes. And just as an aside, if you enjoy conflict, please do some counseling and work through that. <laughs> like, I have some wiring that I tend to be a fighter, but I don't enjoy conflict at all. It's not like I sit and go, yes! So if you are a fighter, maybe that's your response to conflict. Or here's another one that's going to step on some toes. Maybe you're a gossip. You experience conflict, and you're like, I can't wait to tell everyone what happened. Ooh, I'm going to spill some tea because that person, they said this about this person and you're talking to all these other people that were not even there and you're bringing them in as your response to conflict gossip or finally is your response people-pleasing. And it's different than an avoider. Avoider goes, I want to be out of this myself. A people-pleaser is like, can I make this all right? Can I just get everyone to be okay? We good? We're good? We're good? You're good? Everyone's good? We're good? Okay, don't move. We're good now. I feel happy. Because I pleased everyone. The problem is you can't, right? And then you're just waiting for the next time. You're like, okay, I'll make it. I'll, I'll, fix, I'll fix it. I'll go talk to them. You don't need to. I'll go talk to them. I'll fix it for you. And then them. And you're in the middle and trying to please everyone. Or are you a little bit of a combination of both? Like you're a little bit of an avoider and you're also a bit of a people pleaser. Or, or you're someone that wants to fight and then gossip about it afterwards. And if you're not sure, if you're going, okay, what am I? Am I a voider, fighter? Am I a gossip or a people pleaser? Um, if you're not sure, because some of us sometimes in areas lack some self-awareness, um, ask your spouse or your best friend and they'll gladly tell you. <laughs> they'll go, I know exactly which one you are. And then that's where you go, do I get to do this back? Nope, nope. I'll tell you your problems. Mine are my problems. I want to avoid them. So what is your wiring? What is your tendency? If we understand that all of us have kind of a default and we know that there will be relational conflict and we choose how we respond, some of us choose to respond in the most unhealthy way because that's just what we've done, but we have an opportunity to change. So if we recognize there is going to be conflict and I also hold a personal responsibility to respond and choose how I respond, it actually makes those words that I read earlier from Paul really significant. Paul is writing in 1 Corinthians to the church in Corinth, and he's writing to a group of people that there is some division, that there is some tension, and he's calling them to something more. He says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. Now, I want you to notice how it starts. Paul is using family language here. Brothers and sisters. And he doesn't just say brothers and sisters. He's, he says, dear brothers and sisters. Now, that's not like when you write a letter and you're like, dear Lee. It's actually communicating the value of these brothers and sisters in the family of God. And so he's speaking to this group of people, not just as a group, but as a family. And this is the language, and he's saying, live in harmony with each other. Now, can I just let you know, Paul is not suggesting that we live in false harmony with each other. And sometimes we fall into that trap a little bit. We're like, I just have to pretend like everything's good. I just have to say it. If I say it, Yes, there's harmony, then it'll just somehow happen. I can will it into existence, but it does not work like that. Paul is not suggesting that we somehow pretend that everything is wonderful and great when it is not. 
And there is this part of us sometimes that does try to rush or fake harmony. We try to fake peace amongst people and just try to smooth it over and go, well, I think, I think it's good. The people pleasers especially, like, I think everything is good, but it's not real harmony. Paul is not encouraging us to fake it till we make it. And sometimes we feel a little bit of that, like, okay, we're supposed to have harmony, so I just, harmony! I will achieve harmony. <laughs> like, I don't think it works like that. And this nature of harmony, I think, is significant because he's inviting us to live in harmony with each other. Now, think about even just the nature of harmony. Harmony speaks to this idea of everything being congruent, everything functioning together, all these individual parts functioning together in one direction. Okay, there's the musical element of harmony. When you hear a band playing and they're there's harmony, everything is working together, all the parts, all the different elements, all to create this song and beauty. And when there isn't harmony, you can tell. When you have some students, some teenagers that start a band and they're just starting out, you're like, whoo, great effort, guys, <laughs> right? But it lacks harmony. Now, how, do, how does a band achieve harmony? Does it happen accidentally? Does it happen because a bunch of people who are really good at their instruments, just, they just come together and it just always works? No, it happens with practice. They have to practice, and over time they develop harmony. And I was thinking about that. Is it possible that that's actually a picture of what it looks like in community? That if we want to live in harmony, we actually have to practice. Because our tendency is not to live like that, and our tendency is not to somehow just, avoid, just randomly get to words where it's just unity and perfection and utopia, and so maybe we need to practice. Now think about even just the nature of practice. When you practice, you don't get it right the first time. You might not even get it right the tenth time, but you continue to practice because you have a goal of what you want to get to. If we want to be a community that is working and living in harmony, we need to practice towards that direction. And I'm more and more convinced that that hard work of practice and the, the work of actually building real community is where the good stuff happens. And it is also the difficult stuff that we often try to avoid. That is the place that we become formed and shaped into the image of Jesus and the body of Christ. But the reality is, it takes real work. And so if we want to see harmony, we cannot hope to get to a place of harmony accidentally or without cost. In community, there will be conflict. There will be relational conflict. And we choose, do I want to follow the way of Jesus for conflict or not? And I think for so many of us, you go, I want to follow the way of Jesus or conflict if it's easy and simple and always works. Otherwise, I think I'll try it my way. And Paul challenges us. And he says, let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. Be undivided. Okay, can we be honest? Over the last couple of years, we've seen not, no shortage of division. Certainly in the church. We've seen all sorts of things divide us. And some of it for me pastorally, not only was it heartbreaking, it just surprised me. Like you just realized that there was so much be below the surface. And I think part of it is we experience division when we take our eyes off of the one who unites us, the one who our focus should be on. We end up on all sorts of other things. And rather than putting our focus on Jesus and going, Jesus, what you want, I want that, we end up falling into a place where you go, well, we're not divided, or we're not united around Jesus, we're united around our political stance, or our medical stance, or our ideological stance, or the latest blog, or video, or Instagram post we watched that week, and suddenly we just have these, all these different things where you go, no, you don't, you don't, you can't belong, you can't, and we've forgotten that it has to be Jesus as primary and all the other stuff as secondary. Jesus is the one that unites us, not all the other things. Our church is called Collective Church, and it always stresses me when someone calls it the Collective Church. I'm like, no, Collective Church. 
when we named it, we were really intentional because I was reading about what a collective is. And a collective is a group of individuals united around a common purpose. And I thought that's such a beautiful picture of what we're supposed to be as the church. A group of individuals, different parts, all united around a common purpose. Well, what is ours? You'll see it even on the sign. We exist to make it all about people seeing Jesus. We are united, not even by an idea, but by a person, and his name is Jesus. He's what brings all of us together. He's what allows, he's like the conductor that can create harmony in a band of discordant people practicing how to actually function together. He is at the center for us. And we fight for harmony. And we fight for unity. But we recognize that it takes practice and a lot of hard work, that it does not happen accidentally, and it doesn't just happen over time if you just wait long enough. It takes all of us actually responding differently and choosing a better way forward. And as we work towards experiencing harmony and unity, we will inevitably find ourselves faced with relational conflicts. And the very thing that we want, it will stand in our way because we'll be going, I want harmony. How come it's just not happening quickly? And you go, the way we get to harmony is by practicing and working through some of the stuff that is difficult. Any scenario that involves people inevitably will create room for a conflict. Just Lee and I have been married for 11 years, just as a heads up for those of you who aren't married. Um, marriage is difficult. Marriage is wonderful and really difficult because you have two people joined together and suddenly the conflict doesn't just magically disappear and everything is wonderful. Instead, you're face to face with the conflict in your marriage. And I think for some of us that are not married or some of us that are newly married or want to be married, sometimes we can live in this idealistic romantic comedy or Disney version of marriage. Like we go, when I finally find my person, then I will be complete. Anyone that's married goes, yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> like, honestly, I love Lee. I I'm so grateful for Lee. We have fought for our marriage. We have a, a great marriage, and I'm grateful. But the reality is that when we got married, suddenly you had someone else holding a mirror up to all your faults, all your flaws, and all your failures. And it's not like when you're dating and you go behind the door and you let out your fart because you can be in the secret. Suddenly, all of your mess is on display. See, we have this idealistic version, like, okay, if I can finally find that person, then that will be easy. It's not. It's not easy. Because suddenly, you can't hide anything anymore. Suddenly, there's actual conflict in your dynamic. Conflict is often the earliest and most consistent guarantee in marriage. Because you have two different kinds of people that are, that are trying to work through conflict with each different families and different experiences and different responses, trying to go, how do we do that together? So maybe you have a dynamic where the, the husband is a little bit more passionate and fiery, and you have a scenario where the wife is equally as strong and stubborn, just quiet about it, and so one of you wants to fight and the other wants to avoid, and you have to figure out how do we do this together. And then you add in kids, and you watch stuff with them, and you're like, ooh, <laughs> yeah, that comes from me. <laughs> And so you realize in relational dynamics that there is this conflict that is unavoidable. And in fact, I would say as Lee and I have figured out how to actually have conflict and do it well, our marriage has gotten stronger, our intimacy has deepened, and our ability to understand each other and relate to each other has strengthened. Now, would I prefer to get there in an easier way? Yes. Like it's been a lot of work. It's been a lot of sacrifice. It's been both of us dying to ourselves for the sake of the other. And that's not just a reality for marriages. That's a reality for every single relationship we have with anyone. That as soon as we have any kind of friendship with someone, we realize, oh wait, the way your family handles conflict and my family handles conflict is not the same. 
And suddenly you're going, how do we? And so you, you go, I, I want to talk about it. And they're like, I don't want to talk about it. Or they're like, I want to yell. And you're like, can't we just be happy? Or they go, um, we can talk about it, but I'm going to talk to all my friends about what happened. I mean, the different responses, the avoider, the fighter, the, the, the gossip, and the people pleaser. This is a reality in community that all of us bring in baggage and we bring in ideas of how we should respond to things. And if we're being really honest, a lot of it is not shaped by Jesus. A lot of it is shaped by our own experiences and what we like and what feels good to us, not what's actually best for others. And part of the way of following the way of Jesus is actually going, not my will, but yours. Not my way, but yours. We live a different way. And I've learned when it comes to relational conflict and dynamics that oftentimes it's like 90% of it can be kind of summarized under uh, communication and expectations and how they relate to each other. Like we interact with someone and unclear unclear communication tends to be a a massive place for there to be conflict. Because someone says something and you immediately go into, they meant this and this and this and this and this and this. And the person's like, I didn't say any of that stuff. And so we have times that someone says something to us that we immediately put it through a filter. And we go, you meant this and then you meant this and then you meant this. And we're by ourselves and we're processing all this stuff. Or, or maybe it actually is hurtful. Like someone says something and it hits a spot for you. All of us have some things in our past that have our wounds, All of us have things, someone will say a certain word or phrase to you that it triggers something that you're like, oh, that's not a good spot. That reminds me of something that I thought I had dealt with. And so when we're communicating with each other, oftentimes that other person doesn't even know that. They don't know that that thing is is something, it just just hits to the heart of you and and it hurts and it wounds you. Or we also have passive aggressive communication where people say things that they don't really mean and you're not really sure and then you, afterwards you're like, are they, are they upset? Like I honestly can't tell. And it's like, you couldn't even tell? And you're like, you do it again. Like this, just passive aggressive. We have experienced that. Or think about it too with social media. People post stuff and then you're like, are they talking about me? Like they didn't tell me anything but it kind of seems like it could be me. And we don't actually talk face to face. Or when you think about expectations and how they connect I think, I honestly think, especially in relationships or in marriages or in friendships, that something like 80% of the conflict is around uncommunicated expectations. Like we just somehow think the other person knows what we're thinking. And that's not just a, a, a guy or a girl thing, it's a people thing. There's this tendency to go, well, they should just know. How? Like how am I supposed to know everything that Lee is thinking? I know Lee very well, and there's still times that I go, what? How, how, did that, how did that get to that? And you go, well, I was just, I saw, that. and you go, that, that's the value of actually communicating. Because so often we just think that people should know, hey, this is how I want to have conversations, or this is what I expect of you as we spend time together, or as we make plans. These are my expectations. I think if we were actually as clear about that upfront, it would remove a whole bunch of things. But what ends up happening is we realize that our expectations that we don't communicate and someone else's expectations that they don't communicate are misaligned. And so what we expect and what they expect don't line up and we wonder why there's tension. And heaven forbid we talk about it. We just go, I hope it works out. Hope they just figure it out. And then, like, this is why I, I just, I don't miss dating. Because <laughs> the games, it's like, well, I'm going to do this and I'm going to see if they figure it out. Don't do that. <laughs> if you want something, it's really interesting. Just say it. And then see if that person is willing to do it. If they say no, then you have your answer. You don't have to play games. We see so much of the conflict that arises in any kind of community, Jesus-centered community around communication and how we're all, we all communicate differently and sometimes hear things differently and our expectations and where we don't. Communicate. So much of the conflict is around what is unsaid. And I'm more and more convinced that if we actually lived like Jesus and actually brought what was unsaid out and said it to others, that we would experience something 
different. Jesus models a very direct way of navigating conflict. Jesus was not someone that you wondered, I wonder what he's thinking. He was very direct, and his encouragement to us as a faith community is to be direct with each other. Not harsh and harmful, but direct and clear with each other. He talks about conflict, and he actually says, if there's conflict, if there's something wrong, go talk to the person. Don't talk about the person. Don't avoid the person. Don't try to make the person happy. Go talk to them. And if they'll listen to you, great. And if they don't, bring someone else with you. And a lot of us hear that, and we go, that sounds great. I'm just never going to do it. Jesus represents this direct way of handling conflict, but then he also models something else that I think is really valuable for us to recognize in community. Jesus is brilliant at asking questions. Jesus rarely talks to someone and just just interrupts them and assumes all sorts of things. Even though he is, in fact, God and knows exactly what they're thinking, he still asks the questions. He encourages people to reflect and share and actually gets to the heart issue. So I want us to imagine, imagine if we actually did what Jesus told us and showed us. What if in conflict we actually went directly to that person and asked them questions to clarify? Ask questions about how they responded. Ask questions what they said. Ask questions through the lens of what we had experienced. Jesus does so much of the, the things that we see in the life of Jesus, if we simply actually integrate it in our life, I think would change our life. And now let me just speak even personally. Um, I am passionate, and I'm also sometimes direct. And so there are times that I speak with a lot of passion, and I'll say what I think, and if sometimes if conversations meander too long, I'm like, get to the point. And sometimes that gets, that gets perceived as uh, either anger or, or uh, dismissiveness. And, and so I want you to think about, say I do something and I'm passionate and fiery and, and someone is hurt. Now, if they came up to me and they said, you're a jerk, what does that do? Does that create space where I go, I really want to hear your perspective? <laughs> I, I want to love you well? No, what does it do? It makes me feel defensive and attacked. And in my case, because I, I have this thing where I speak a lot, and then I also often, on unhealthy days, I, I play back all the stupid things I said. And I go, that was dumb. Why did you say that? And, and so sometimes I have experiences where someone is bothered by something, and I have to go, I don't remember what I said. Like, I honestly, it's not, I just don't remember, and I have to think back, and I feel that shame, and, and then I feel defensive, okay? So there's that. Imagine if we did the Jesus way that you went direct and then you just ask questions. So I've had this. When people come up and go, you said this, like this, is that what you meant? Because it came across like this. And you know, like if you've been married, you have the conversation. It's not what you said, it's how you said it. I, I <laughs> maybe have heard that once or twice from Lee. Just saying. But you, you, you know that. And so when someone comes to you and goes, here's what I heard is that what you meant to say? Now, what that does is it gives me, it gives me some actual space to go, I'm, a, I'm an imperfect human being, and that is not what I meant. And I'm not necessarily thinking, I, I might share, like, this is what I meant, but I also can go, I'm sorry, I didn't, I would never try to, that was not what I was trying to say, and I'm sorry. It gives me the dignity of actually being willing to do that and not feeling like I'm gonna feel ashamed. Like, I don't sit there and go, oh man, I, I, I'm the worst human being ever. I can't believe I'm so stupid. Like you just go, yeah, I'm sorry. Thank you for letting me know. And then I can actually make it right. And some of us, we have conflict with others and we rob the other person of the opportunity to help, to make it right. Can we all be honest? Sometimes the things we think in our head don't come out like we intend them to. And more than that, sometimes the things that we say, people don't hear the way that we thought they would. And sometimes people will respond to stuff, and then you go, no, that's not what I meant at all. How, how did that, how did you? Because everyone has a filter and a lens, and if we're not clear about that, we end up in this place where there's confusion, and there's conflict, and there's no resolution. It's so important for us to actually go directly to that person and not try to pull others in and see, can we make this right? Can, can we actually find a place of understanding? Can we, can we treat each other as 
equally valuable as sons and daughters of the king, of God, of a family, brothers and sisters? Can we actually figure out a way forward? And what happens is the people that are prone to gossip, what they end up doing is rather than healing, they just create more damage with others. And they go, did you hear what he said about me? Did you hear what he said to that other person? And you make all these assumptions and then you create a narrative and none of it is helpful. I am convinced that if we want to build real community, we have to grow in our ability to honestly ask questions of others and to help clarify, to actually ask. And not just to ask to dunk. Like, you know the people that ask because they're just waiting, I'm gonna win this argument. Don't do that. Ask the question because you honestly want to understand because you want to build a stronger relationship. You want to build a stronger community. We have to stop ourselves from our tendency to make assumptions and actually ask questions so that we can, be, we can get more information and find a way forward. And when we do this, we don't see conflict as the worst thing in the world that we need to avoid or, or run towards. Instead, we see conflict as an opportunity for growth in relationships with each other. We look at conflict not as, not even as good or bad or otherwise, but as an opportunity for there to be actual growth in our relationships with one another so that we can respond to each other in a way that actually helps. And what happens when we do this, when we go to someone, we ask questions, when we create conversation, we give that person the chance to actually become a, a better contributor to this community that we're trying to build. We give someone an opportunity to grow in their contribution and go, okay, I know, I know what I want to bring, and that's not it, and so I can grow in this. And so the, the reality is that, that so much of conflict is, is, is in that category, the, the misunderstandings, the miscommunication, the uncommunicated expectations, all of that. But then there's the other kind of conflict where someone is trying to be hurtful. Or maybe they're responding because they've been hurt. And we don't necessarily know all the things, but they're lashing out. What do we do in that scenario? What do we do when someone in community, supposed to be Jesus-centered, someone actually hurts us? When there is conflict that is intended to wound or a conflict that actually does wound? What do we do when it's legitimate? When it's not just perceived as wrong, but it actually is wrong? This is why Jesus says in Luke 17, verse 3, so watch yourselves. If another believer sins, rebuke that person. Then if there is repentance, forgive. This verse is hard for some of us. I would say all of us. Even if that person wrongs you seven times a day and each time turns again and asks forgiveness, you must forgive. You're like, I got one in me. Seven like, I get it. Forgiveness, it's lovely, and we're supposed to do that. But seven times in one day, and what is it saying? If, if this person is continually asking for forgiveness, our responsibility is to forgive. But notice the beginning part of this. Notice when it says, if another believer sins, rebuke that person. Now, that seems like harsh language. Rebuke. In the community that is following the way of Jesus together, when someone does something wrong, we have to challenge them. Lovingly, we have to actually be willing to confront it. Because this is kind of the, the, this is one of the challenges with Christian community, because we're like, well, I don't, I don't, grace. Yes, grace. And truth. And if we're excited about doing this, if we're like, I can't wait to challenge that person, that, please don't. Because that's the wrong posture. But if you see that someone has done something wrong, maybe it's to you or someone else, and you recognize this is wrong and it's sin, and you go, I need to challenge them, if you feel a little bit like your stomach is unsettled and you're not excited, but you know you need to do it, perfect. Because you feel this sense of weight. Like you go, I need to do the right thing, but I'm not excited about it. That posture allows you to actually wade into conversations with a different heart. Because you're saying, listen, I love you too much to leave you where you are. I want to help you to grow. I see some areas that there, that there is some disconnect, and I want to share them with you. It's almost like the, the running thing where 
like when American Idol was such a big deal and you had these people that would go on and they'd be on national TV and they could not sing at all, and you'd feel bad and then watch more, like, oh, it's so terrible. You sit there and wonder, how come no one told them? Okay, think about conflict. There are some people that have some really bad patterns and no one's told them. Like no one's been, like said, I, I love you too much to let you continue. You, like we have people that live in this place where it's just continually victim. I, everyone else is always to blame, okay? If everyone else is always to blame, it's possible that you share a lot of that blame. Because if you're always deflecting on everyone else, it's not a functional thing. At some point you go, you know what, I have a part to play in this. Or maybe you have this pattern of wounding people. Like you see people, and there's just trails of bodies of people that you've said hurtful, horrible things to, or you just write your friends off so quickly. It's possible that there's some patterns that you need to deal with. And the loving thing that we do as community is we challenge each other on that. We go, and even to say, hey, here's what I noticed. Are you meaning to do that? Because I want to see more for you. This is the responsibility for us as community. We should never feel joy about confronting each other, but we should be motivated by love and a desire to see each other grow. We don't treat it as, I'm gonna win this argument, I'm gonna make you feel small. Instead we go, I want every single person in the community to become more and more like Jesus in every single area. And the way that happens is by each of us helping each other. We go to the person and we share where there is sin. And when that person is actually repentant, if that person recognizes that they were wrong and they're willing to change, we forgive them. And we don't just forgive them once and expect perfection. I mean, even if you go back to, to marriage or any kind of romantic relationships or even friendships, Sometimes we can go, okay, I pointed out this issue once, figure it out. That's not how it works. And I'm not saying you start nagging and like every single time, I told you, you should have, none of that. I'm just saying it, it, there are patterns that we have in our life. Let's just be honest. There's patterns in our life that we've had for 20, 30, 40, 60 years. It doesn't just immediately go away. And so in community, we begin to lovingly continue to go, hey, when you did that, just it's that thing. And you go, yeah, you're right. And so you work through it. We can't expect to forgive someone once and then everything is just perfect from then on. This is why it talks about forgiving seven times. Because there's a reality that human beings are not perfect and will make the same mistake and sometimes it'll drive us nuts. And so in all of this, this way of forgiveness, for us to live even in a way that cares about others, is willing to challenge and confront, that, it, that is willing to wade into conflict because it's an opportunity to grow, all of it exposes each of us and our natural tendencies that I started with. Because when we experience conflict, those of us that would tend to avoid, we find this pull to avoid. We're like, oh man, I know I'm supposed to go to that person and talk, but I'm just gonna, I'm gonna avoid this one. Next time, when the time is right. That's like my favorite with an avoider. When the time is right, then I'll talk to them. Three years later, have you talked to them? No, I haven't had a chance. You go, okay, if you're a fighter, you, your tendency isn't to lovingly confront so that you can, or challenge so that you can see that person grow. Your, your tendency is to, I'm gonna go after them and make sure they know what they did. Right? You're like, I'm going to win. As soon as you're trying to win in any kind of dynamics with any other person, you've lost. And so if you are a gossip, what do you do? Someone hurts you and you go, I'm supposed to forgive and actually go to them. And you're like, no, I'm going to tell 17 people who are not them and I'm going to make it worse. Because I'll feel better because I get it off my chest, but it won't actually help anything. And people pleasers, what do they do? They just stuff it down, keep everyone happy, and just build resentment and resentment and resentment and resentment. All of us have some natural tendencies. All of us have some dysfunctional tendencies. Elements, maybe combinations of all of those. And so we're forced to ask ourselves, as we navigate conflict, am I following my way, my tendency, the way that I've been raised, the way my family taught me, or the way of Jesus. In Colossians 3, verse 13, it says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. 
Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Make allowance for each other's faults. Can we be honest? We all have them. And the more time you spend in community, the more time those faults actually show up. You can't hide them anymore. You can't go like, well, if I'm just here every once in a while around people when I've had a great sleep and my life is going well and I've eaten, then I'm good. No, you actually start, they see you when you're tired and when you're irritated, when you've had a hard day, and suddenly your faults and your flaws and your failures are on display. But because we know our own faults, we're more willing to bear the burden of others. Because we just recognize, you know what, I have my stuff, you have your stuff, and all of us, if we love each other, are trying to grow and become more and more like Jesus. And so we share our faults, we help each other in our areas of fault, and we grow together. And we forgive each other. Why? Because we have been forgiven by Jesus. Now, this does not mean that we become doormats. It doesn't mean that we just go, it's fine, I don't care, it doesn't even bother me, but it does mean that we choose not to let offense become our identity. It cannot become who we are. The only person that gives us our identity is God the Father, and who we are through Jesus, we are not the sum total of all the ways that other people have let us down and offended us. We forgive, and we help that person to grow. And, and sometimes what happens in the church is we are good with even the forgiveness part. We're like, I've forgiven them from afar. I don't need to talk to them about it. Yeah, that's a problem. Because you might have forgiven them, but you've not actually given them the opportunity to change. You've just gone, you know what? Between God and I, we're good. Okay, God and you, you're good. But this is not. And we do both of those. We forgive and we help that person to grow. Grace and Truth, when someone is repentant, when someone recognizes what they did was wrong or unintentionally harmed, they have an opportunity to grow. And when we live like that, we acknowledge something powerful. Henry Nouwen has this quote that I think is so significant, and it says this, forgiveness means that I continually am willing to forgive the other person for not being God, for not fulfilling all my needs, I too must ask forgiveness for not being able to fulfill other people's needs. The interesting thing is that when you can forgive people for not being God, then you can celebrate that they are a reflection of God. Like, think about this. We actually just need to forgive each other and ask for forgiveness for not being God. Because we don't, we don't say that with our words, but we do with our life. We go, you should be perfect. I'm not, you should be. In a, a marriage, we're like, you need to fulfill all my needs, you need to meet all my needs, you need to make me happy in every single area of my life, and guess what? That does not work. That is not reality. No human being can complete what only God can do. And so in our dynamics with each other, we forgive each other. Listen, you're not perfect because you're not God, and you're not going to meet all my needs, and I'm not always going to meet all of your needs, and then we can actually love each other where we are and grow together. Your best friend, this magical spouse you think you're going to find, your current spouse, is not going to solve all your problems. The right church, the right co-group, the right people, they're not going to solve all of your problems. Only God can actually solve, really heal the deepest things in us. But if we run from community every time we're exposed and that stuff comes out, we actually shortcut and shortchange the real growth that needs to happen. And this is why 1 Corinthians is such a call for us. I appeal to you. This is my appeal for us. Dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other, let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. We go back to this idea of practicing to move towards harmony. I want to speak to I want to speak to the four different groups of people, and I want to provide a challenge. And while I do that, if the worship team wants to come up, I want to remind you the two guarantees in community: one, there will be conflict and, and relational conflict, and two, we are individually responsible for choosing how we respond to that conflict. Okay, four groups of people. So, if you are an avoider, and this whole conversation has made you really uncomfortable, and you're like, I can't wait to get out of here. I'm going to avoid this. I know he's challenging. I'm going to avoid. I'm going to avoid. Can I just remind you, not all conflict is bad. It's often necessary, and it builds a stronger community. 
that if we want to follow the way of Jesus, we don't run from community, we allow him to work through. Or we don't run from conflict, we allow Jesus to work through the conflict. And so I, I shared practices for harmony. Let me give you a practice for this week. And in co-groups, we'll tease some of this out a little more. But this is your practice. If you're an avoider, I'm not going to ask you to put up your hand, but if you're an avoider, the next time conflict comes up, be like Jesus and ask clarifying questions. Clarify, and where there is something wrong, lovingly say so. You'll be able to do this. Oh, it'll make you feel like you're going to, it's going to be really uncomfortable for your stomach. It's like, how descriptive do I get here? Because you're going to be able to filter your thoughts and go, I want to lovingly share what's wrong. I'm asking you when the opportunity shows up, and it will, to not avoid it, but lean into it with love. And speak clearly with compassion to someone that needs to grow. If you are a fighter, if the whole time you're like, I have some conflict we got to deal with right now, I can't wait. Slow down. And here's my encouragement. Attack the problem, not the person. Like, look at the problem. Try to solve the problem. Don't try, to, don't try to win and dunk on the person. Don't try to make that person feel smaller or like you are superior. Love that person and look at the problem that you are facing as an opportunity to solve it, not as a person that you can go after. And so here's the practice for someone who is an avoider, and it will be, I think each of them will be uncomfortable for each of the wiring. If you have conflict with someone, shut up and ask questions. Ask questions, did you mean this? And actually ask and then listen. Don't try to be right, don't try to win, don't wait for your chance to speak, ask questions. Did you mean to say this like this? When you said this, is this your intention? And, and ask honestly. Like you know the difference when someone asks you a question when they're just waiting so they can tell you? Ask where you go, I wanna understand this person because the, the instinct to fight is a great instinct because you care about people and you're fighting for people. We're fighting for people, not with them. So ask questions and listen more than you talk. For the gossips, for the people that their tendency is when there's conflict, they tell 14 other people that are not the person. Talk to the right person. Actually, the practice that I would encourage you is if there is conflict, don't talk to anyone, no one, before you talk to that person directly. And that will be hard. Because your instinct will be going, I'm feeling things, I need to offload it, and I'll feel better if I share some people. It will not help. And even further, speak well of people when they aren't in the room. Talk to that person directly. Create opportunity for them to grow. And if, if they go, you know what, I'm wrong, I was wrong, I shouldn't have said that, don't go to four other people and say, you know what they did, but they acknowledged they were wrong. That's not helpful. Be one of those people that when, you, when they're caught talking about someone else, it's positive. Fight that. People have dignity and they deserve better than to constantly wonder, is this person talking behind my back? For my people pleasers, for my people that just want to keep the peace all of the time, I want you to know your feelings matter. Stop pushing them down. Here's the reality. Sometimes with conflict, you go, you can think, there are times we create conflict. Lee and I once had a fight about how she folded the bathroom towel. I was very upset. I felt very strongly about it. Sometimes you have conflict over stupid things. But a people pleaser's tendency is not that. It's to act like everything that is significant must be silly. Like you're like, you know what, it's not that big of a deal. And so I'm probably just, I'm probably just making it a bigger thing. I should, it's, you know, I just want everyone to be happy. Just other than me, everyone else, happy, content. Your feelings actually matter, and what you see matters. I don't want you to dismiss your feelings and shove them down. And so your practice is to speak up the next time you see something wrong and help that person to grow. Fight the urge when you feel this tendency to go, you know what, I'll just handle it with God in my quiet space, and I'll just pretend like it's fine. Instead, lovingly bring it out to people and go, Here's my experience, especially for people pleasers because they spent so much time trying to keep everyone happy. People, when they, when they share, when a people pleaser shares, tend, they tend to listen because they're like, I didn't know that. The uncommunicated conversation and how that can restore. So if you're an avoider, 
You know your practice. If you're a fighter, you know gossip or a people pleaser. And I want to challenge you, if you are not in a co-group, to join a co-group. To resist the urge to think that you can somehow just grow by yourself. And for some of us that feel this fear of what if they know me and then they reject me? Or what if they know me and my faults and my flaws and my failures are on display? And to go, but what if we could be the kind of the community that loves people and we see the areas we need to grow and helps each other to grow? Like actually goes, we, don't, we want people to become more and more like Jesus. We want to do what Jesus did. We want to handle conflict well. We want to respond well. We want to choose a different way. We want to be a counterculture to the community that is around us that is so divided. If you are in the room and you are dealing with some challenge, maybe you've heard some stuff and it's brought some things out, or maybe there's some areas that you need to confess before God, or you, you just go, I, I need, I, I'm struggling, there's going to be the prayer team that's going to be standing over there and they'd love to pray for you. I'm going to ask the prayer team actually to come up during worship. So as we respond in worship, you don't have to wait. Because sometimes you wait and then you're like, at some point I'll go up there, but you won't. You can go up, no one's watching you, and you can be prayed for. If there's things that you need to, you need to deal with, you need to share with someone else, the prayer team would love to pray with you and for you. Two guarantees in community, we will experience personal conflict, relational conflict, and we are responsible, each of us, to choose how we respond. This week, let's choose a different way. Let's choose the way of Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you invite us forward. God, thank you that you are a God of reconciliation and restoration. God, I know that you are speaking to each one of us about areas where we need to grow. Help us to be the kind of community that wants to grow even though it's difficult. Help us to be the kind of community that models something different to the world where we are united, where we practice towards harmony because we are united by Jesus. God, if there's stuff that we need to deal with, help us to have the courage to respond and to go to you. God, we need you. We love you. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like more information on Collective Church, Find us on social media at This Is Collective Church or reach us on our website, collectivechurch.ca. Thank you for listening and we hope to see you Sunday.